If y'all would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. While you're opening up there, we've been in this very short Easter series for three, three times now. It's the third. The first was last Sunday. The second was on Maundy Thursday. And now today, Resurrection Sunday, where we're going to read uh, the Resurrection Story And yet, uh, as we have been marching through this, I've reminded y'all that the Gospel of Mark is somewhat unique in its brevity, in its shortness. It's succinct, quick, and to the point, almost to where when you're reading it, you think, isn't there more? Shouldn't there be more? You will feel that this morning when we finish the Gospel of Mark. When we stop at verse 8 and you think, there should be more. This can't be it. But as God would have it, there is such deep and stark truth to be found there that it is worth the stop because it shocks us a little bit. Like when you stop hard at a stop sign, you say, whoa, that was close, right? Boom, we stopped and there is something to be seen we will see those things today, and it's powerful because, and this is our main point, Easter morning shows us the true life-changing salvation of God. Let's pray, and then we'll read God's word together. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that this word would be effective in our lives, that it would uh, do something to us that a Holy Spirit you would work a work for those of us who do not believe and those of us who do believe that that we would be changed from this to that as we move through your word this morning Lord do it please in Jesus name amen this is Mark chapter 16 verses 1 through 8 When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, it stands forever. We will have it in the heavenly places. It would be good for us then to pay attention to it. Now, now remember our main point this Easter morning, that, that Easter morning itself, the, the events that transpire here, it shows us 
the true life-changing salvation of God that every Christian holds to. And we'll get there with five points. Number one, God-given desire. Number two, obstacles removed. Third, risen Savior. Fourth, truthful word. And then fifth, a God-fearing astonishment. The first part, then, of a life-changing salvation is a rising, God-given desire. Verses 1, 2, and 3. God told Noah to build, right, the ark, and he did. You remember the story, perhaps? God told Abraham to go. If you don't remember that, God literally tells Abraham, hey, go down here. You don't have anything there, right? That's the story. God told Abraham to go, and he went. God told Moses to bring my people out of Egypt, and he brought them. Jesus said, follow me to his disciples, and they followed. Jesus said, come to me, to us his people, and we do. At first glance, when we think about these things, we might try to define that or categorize those into the realm of obedience. They listened, we listen, and obey. In one sense, that is true. Each of these things, including us, when Jesus says, come to me, each of us, we follow the command given. But there is something deeper something at the level of the heart going on when true obedience takes place. Deep in the heart, I'm saying on the inside of us, right? Not, not on the outside. We have desires that inform our decisions. It is in this heart place, this desire place, that God does his work first. This is what Jesus means when he says words like, you got to be born again. It is what Paul means when he says that we are new creations. It is what uh, Ezekiel means when he reveals God's word, talking about a stony heart that is one that's, that's rock solid and not beating, turning into a beating heart, right? A flesh heart. It is what Moses says when God reveals this very peculiar language of the circumcision of the heart. Because remember, circumcision is quite outward, right? And yet you see this very inward reality playing out in the Old Testament law, where it's only outward, right? By no means. Moses himself speaks of a heart change that must take place. Desire is the intent of our action, which provides the opportunity for true, genuine knowledge of yourself. If you know your desires, you'll know yourself. Of course, it is a great introspective exercise to do at all times, in all aspects of our life. It's good to know who you are, but spiritually speaking... God rises in his people a desire that leads to life-changing salvation. And this is exactly what we see in these three women in verses 1 through 3. Spices were bought to anoint the Lord Jesus, not to obey him. He's dead. He didn't command them to anoint him. 
That's not how it works. But they did want to honor him. And yet, when you think about it, in the honoring, as they honor the Lord, they are rendering obedience. In the same way, you see the faithfulness of the women, right? And it's not how uh, sometimes a, a Christian popularity does it, right? Where, you know, your faith makes you very strong. You look like a muscle builder of faith, right? Where if you're going to be faithful, you know, you've just got to be ready to go. And you better go and you'll know. You'll know that the stone is rolled away. But is that what the women said? We have a desire to go. We want to honor the Lord. You think that stone will be able to get rolled away? I don't think we're strong enough. Remember, it's a massive stone, right? Remember why? Because the leaders at that time, they didn't want any sneaky things happening. They didn't want anybody to come in the night, for instance, and knock the guards on the head, roll the stone away, steal Jesus' body, and then say, oh, look, he's resurrected. We win, or something like that. And so now you've got these women going. And they're going in faith. And it's not that faith that you see on some, uh, on some Christian movie, you know, B, you know the, the B-film Christian movie where you're thinking, okay, you know, Lord, I'm going to walk in faith. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 everything falls into place. I'm super strong. We're going to go from here. Uh, yes, where's my popcorn? Where's my feel goods? You know, that, that moment. I hope, that, I hope that stone can get rolled away because I really want to honor the Lord today. The true life-changing salvation of God starts with a change in the desires of our heart. I want to go there. There is an obstacle, but I will go. For those of you who believe, this is that part maybe of your personal testimony your personal salvation experience that is hard to explain you might say something like this if you get to this moment where you're talking about maybe your christian life or how you got to where you are and you might say you know i just changed i can't explain it you know one day i was like this the next day i was like that right you might be familiar with this if you've talked to others about their their christian walk or their christian testimony but but the explanation if you wanted that deeper reality, is that God gave you new desires. He changed you. Those new desires are the beginning of a true life-changing salvation from the Lord. These three women on Easter morning explain that hard-to-explain reality with their actions in the very same way that Christians throughout history all the way to right now have revealed their desires through their actions. Uh, you know, uh, I was talking uh, just, just before the service. Who, uh, you know, how, how does the Christian church operate in a world where uh, people always ask us, what should we do and what shouldn't we do? What should we do? What shouldn't we do? You're, you got the law, right? Well, I do. I think you should do what you want to do. Well, there's no way that's true. There's no way you think that. I can't change you. I can't change you. You should do what you want to do. My prayer is that the Lord would give you desires that I think are better than others. But I can't change your heart. And so you should do what you want to do. And the Lord will change your heart. Christians, believe it or not, do what they want to do. If we want to come to church and worship the Lord, we'll be at church. 
If we want to live a life of righteousness, it's not to save ourselves. It's because the Lord has raised in us a desire, a desire to live after the Lord and what he wants of us. It's a God-given desire and change as God is working out this life-changing salvation. Now, the second part of true life-changing salvation seen on Easter morning is obstacles removed. Verse 4, you might know where we're going. If we get down to the nitty-gritty on this one, it's pretty obvious. The women are on their way to see Jesus, but there is a fairly massive obstacle in their way. It is a giant stone covering the entrance to the tomb. This is a perfect illustration of the massive obstacles in life that could hinder our way to Jesus. And they are many, and they are larger than a stone at a tomb. Pain, suffering, and the problem of evil. Pleasure, greed, and the desire to be in control. I haven't quite met someone who doesn't desire to be in control of their life. We can act like we don't want to be. It's easy to act like we don't want to be. I have yet to meet someone who doesn't want to be in control of their own life. I want to do it. Personal pronoun. Secret and sinful desires of our own heart. Secret sins that we are doing right now. Massive amounts of hypocrisy in the church and in the world, which creates the seedbed for a general distrust amongst humanity in general. And yet, just like that, verse 4 comes every single time in every single testimony. And what do we see? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Isn't that the reality of our lives. Yeah, there was no way I could get past that. Well, you're here today. That's right. It was very large. <laughs> what? You know, is there more? No, that's it. That's it. God removes obstacles. The true life, uh, the true life-changing salvation of God, it starts with a change in the desires of our heart. Yes, and as our salvation journey begins, the obstacles in our paths are removed as obviously as that very large stone is moved away from the tomb of Jesus Christ. That we might get to where we desire to go. And what is it that we desire? We would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Obstacles removed. This is our third point. Speaking of Jesus... Easter morning shows us the true life-changing salvation of God, and there is no salvation apart from the risen Savior. Verses 5 and 6, the closer to salvation we get, the more we transition from ordinary to extraordinary, right? The closer we get. Up to this point, the miraculous workings of God have been rather ordinary. Right? They've been through ordinary means, uh, and, and it's, it's miraculous, yes, but, but it's quite ordinary. One day I wake up and I say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live a life of righteousness. The next day, the Lord gives me a new desire. I say, oh, well, well I, I do want to live a life of righteousness. It's, it's quite ordinary. It's not as extravagant as people might think or desire, right? But then you also see obstacles removed. Usually it's quite, it's quite ordinary, 
For instance, it's a large stone moved a couple feet away. It's pretty ordinary. I mean, it was here, and now it's there, and you think, whoa, that's really cool, and that, you know, I can walk where I want to go. It's ordinary, but, but now things start to get extraordinary. The unsettling nature of these verses should not be glanced over. The tomb is missing a corpse. And within the tomb, where the corpse should be, there is a seemingly casually sitting, white-robed young man who in all likelihood was exhibiting some intense spiritual pressure that the women could feel in their own spirits. In that sense, then, the descriptive language is timely. The women were alarmed, okay? Uh, it was alarming. It was unsettling what they saw and what they expected to see. But as has been the case for centuries and centuries of God's revelation up to this very point, comforting and powerful words are uttered by this messenger of God. Verse 6, he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And there it is. There's the transition from ordinary to extraordinary. Jesus rising from the grave. Listen, books and philosophies have wrestled with the problem of death since books and philosophy were a thing. Okay? This is a common theme of humanity. You can find it in every age and time. Science, even to this very point right now, fights against death. I talked to my brother-in-law. He is a medical doctor. He sees, uh, he's trained to do uh, you know, pediatrics all the way through. And he's in a small town, and he says, I wish that I had only babies because we are bringing life. So yet... I am fighting against the sickness of the body the most. Perhaps we might resonate as we think about our aging bodies and the complications that rise from such things. Can't y'all see it? How extraordinary we get. Because people, they range, right? From, from hyper-ignoring. I'm not going to think about death whatsoever. That's, that's a bad, the D word. Don't bring it up. I don't want to think about it. it makes me too sad. I'm going to live my life. Why are you trying to be a downer, right? Uh, the D word, right? And then you've got others uh, who are kind of blue fire raging against, well, I know death is coming, so I got to whew, burn out. Here we go, you know, and boo, live your best life now. And you go and you go until you're quenched. There's talk. There is coping, there is dealing, there is ignoring, there is raging. But Jesus Christ conquered death. He is the one who conquered. And if you were looking for why the church calls the work of Jesus good news, here it is. Because the good news of the Lord Jesus is that he conquered the grave. As I told the children, they are the ones who think about uh, uh, our skin level pain. Mary Emmeline bumps her elbow or something. Boom. Wails, right? But, but we're the same way. Boom. Wail. And it's skin deep. 
And yet there's something always coming. There's something always more. There's something in the soul that we know is coming. And this death part of it is quite fearful until we see that the tomb is empty and that Jesus Christ is not just a teacher. He's not just a quippy, cool, hipster man. He is one who is not only helping the masses with their skin problems and their eyesight. He is one who is revealing how we might deal with death itself. And it's through him because he conquered it. Elsewhere in the Bible it says he, he, he leads death behind him like a powerful king who has conquered an enemy and that enemy is the grave Jesus has done it he lived a perfect life and he died a death for you and me and here's the point perfection can't be held by the ground perfection can't be held by sin and so up from the grave, he rises, he reveals that there is a way of life, there is a way of resurrection, there is a way of salvation if we believe in him, because we can't get there on our own. And so he does say, come, come here, come and listen to me and believe in me. And when that happens, boom, we are changed and we are saved. Jesus takes all of our sin that would lead us into death and condemnation, and he gives to us all his righteousness and perfection that would lead us into the heavenly place. And in that moment, it is very good news. The true life-changing salvation of God starts with a change in the desires of our hearts. And as our salvation journey begins, obstacles are moved away, allowing us to see that very important and key concept that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. But true life-changing salvation doesn't stop in the tomb of Jesus, does it? It's just like the messenger said, he's not here. He's not here. You need to go elsewhere because Jesus has risen. Our fourth point rests then on the truthful words of our Savior, verse 7. The book of Acts is part two of Luke's gospel. So if you're thinking about the gospels, we've got Matthew, who's doing one thing. He's talking about Jesus the King. Then you've got Mark, who's boom, 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 boom. I've got a message to tell you. I've got a message to tell you now. This message is for all, not just Jews, but also those who might not know a whole lot about some of the Old Testament stuff. I'm going to give it to you all. I'm going to give it to you right here. It's going to be quick. All right, that's Mark. That's where we're at. Then you get John way over here, and John's saying, y'all are all saying the same thing, but I've got something that I need to show you. Jesus is God, okay? And that's a big deal because he took on flesh, all right? So you've got John there, and then you've got Luke. Luke the doctor, right? Luke the historian. For those of you who haven't been with us, uh, we spent around 75 weeks talking about Luke's gospel. So some of us are somewhat familiar. And so as you think about Luke and his gospel, there's a part two. And it's Acts. And, and as we see Jesus rising from the grave post-Easter and the church beginning to be birthed out, there's a pretty cool way that the book of Acts summarizes that. Chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. So if you read Acts, you would see it. It starts in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth ending in Rome, Rome being the capital of the world at that time. So boom, you go out everywhere. It's pretty cool. But how do we get to that part? We need a prelude, right? Mark gives us 
the prelude here in verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. There is a moment in time where this stuff is about to start going fast, right? It seemed like it was fast as the fullness of time rose in. Jesus was doing this ministry. They haven't seen anything yet. But how did they get there? How did they get there? And it's right here. Jesus has been teaching his people of Easter morning the whole time. He has told them, I'm going to be apprehended. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the authorities, okay? And the religious leaders of the time. I'm going to die, and I'm going to, after three days, rise again from the grave. He has been saying this explicitly many times. When Jesus died, it is apparent that the disciples hesitated at the sayings of Jesus. They hesitated to go over to Galilee where Jesus said, I'll meet up with you. That was pre-death, right, Lord? And that was pre-death. Things have changed. This isn't a part of the plan. Can't be. But he was dead. And he is now risen. He is not here, not in the tomb. And he is on his way to Galilee, just as he said. He preached a sermon on this some years ago, and he said, let your yes be yes. Jesus' yes is his yes, truthful to the very end. Death couldn't even stop his yes from being yes. And in keeping his word in what, what really should be the, the most momentous moment, right, where, where words should be broken upon death, there's no way he can fulfill it. When that moment comes and we see that Jesus' words are true, his others are more fully confirmed. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I will send you the comforter. Fear not. In my Father's house are many rooms. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread. I am the light. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ask and you shall receive. And on and on and on as we see Jesus' words kept as he rises from the grave and he goes before his disciples to meet them in Galilee to birth out the church as we know it. We see all his words then not only from there but from the very beginning because we know that Jesus is the word made flesh. And if the word is made flesh, we see that he is going all the way back. Those words that have been going on the whole time. And if that is the reality of the situation, and as God is working a work and raising in us desire, as these obstacles are being thrown to the side, as we start to see these things play out in the risen Savior, truthful words bear out from him as well. And power comes in that moment. As all of this sinks in, for these women in the tomb, our fifth and final point bears out. God-fearing astonishment. Verse 8. Notice some of the language used in this last verse. Fled, trembling, astonishment, seized, said nothing, afraid. Some see this verse as problematic. It's why you see some additional text that some might take up. 
Some see it as problematic because the thought of the modern mind is that a follower of God is absolutely prepared to have the cosmic weight of the conquering of death slammed into their life and then say, okay, sounds good. But that also makes salvation problematic when you get right down to it, doesn't it? This verse and salvation and growth in spirituality is not walking on a rainbow and finding a pot of gold at the end of it, which then gives you the ability to give 10% to the church and take the other 90%, and then it's just a great life from then on out. Praise be to the Lord. That would be nice, but it's just a dream. It's just a dream. Life-changing salvation is much different than that. In fact, the difference is that we are never prepared, that we are always preserved in a way that we couldn't even imagine until we look back on it, and then we are seen to a place of change into salvation, and and in the process we are deeply affected by the onsetting realities and events happening around us. I was having a discussion with my wife about this trying to figure out how do I convey this with an illustration. This is the moment, right, for the pastor, the illustration. And I couldn't come up with one, but Rebecca did. (laughs) And it's perfect. (laughs) When I held my daughter in my arms for the very first time in the hospital, not even one hour old, everything changed. Everything. But it's not just butterflies and gumdrops, right? Oh, man. Reality slammed in. And I thought, God, I'm going to break this baby. I don't know what to do. I hadn't even ever held a baby. I was scared to hold my nephews. And now I've got my own. And yet, in that same moment, a desire welled up within me like the fiercest of sons that I would protect this girl with my life. And that I would hold her forever. She's mine. My life was changed in that moment. And yet it was much different than the rainbow over and all happy and gumdrops. There were many hours lost thanks to Mary Emmeline and her desire at times not to sleep but to be snuggled. I actually got shingles. Uh, contracted shingles because of what the doctor said was slight stress in my life. I said, thanks. Thanks for the, uh, for the prognosis there, Doc. Just slight stress. He said, try to get a little bit more sleep. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but, uh, of course, Rebecca, with all strength, didn't get sick at all. But anyway, so uh, there's a moment, though, right, when we think of salvation, when we think of astonishment, that, that these things, they set in on us, outside of us. It's, it's, the, it's the onsetting realities. And as God is miraculously and spiritually working, there is a God-fearing astonishment that bears out in our life. After the events of that night, you might say, along with these people, after the events, that is, of, of Mary Maline's birth, you might say that I was trembling. And that I was astonished that it had seized me. And that I said nothing to anyone because I didn't want anyone to think I didn't have this thing, right? And I was afraid. It's not problematic. It's real. It's real. You don't have to be fake. 
It's real. And that's how it bears out in us. It's, it's in a messy way. Because we are messy people. And the Lord's wanting us to draw us in, not to just make us clean and neat, but to bring us home and to keep us and to see us into an eternity with him. These women were seized by such a deep astonishment because their entire concept of life had changed. Nothing could ever be the same. Easter morning shows us the true life-changing salvation of God and the true life-changing salvation of God starts with a change in the desires of our hearts. And as our salvation journey begins, the obstacles in our path are moved away, allowing us to see that Jesus has risen from the grave, which really changes us and gives us a God-fearing astonishment. Let me leave you with just a few questions then this Easter morning. Have you ever experienced these things in your life? If you confess in the Lord Jesus, then you have. You have. On the other side of things, on the other side, if you have, but you feel like you've lost it, if you have confessed those things a year, 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And you say, I had that. I had what you're saying, but not now. Take heart, dear ones, because you cannot lose that which God has given you. And my prayer this morning should be your prayer as well. Lord, would you rise in me that which not I once had, that which I have, my desires, I want them to be after you. And God will grant that desire of your heart. Christ the Lord is risen today with death now gone and peace restored. Dear Christian, put fear away and worship the Lord in song, in word, in deed as we move forward. This is real life. We don't have to treat it like it's fake because it's real. It has affected us who believe. And so may we move in that, not only today, not only this week, but for the rest of our lives here, helping others to see the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have shown us not only that the tomb was empty, but the story was not over and that we are now a part of this witness to the world that we might be ones who say, I don't know why. And yet God has loved me this much to change my heart and to change my ways. I do not deserve it. And yet, God, I will praise you for the rest of my days. Oh, Lord, thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.